This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. Welcome to episode 116 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss Naren Shankar's 2015 series, The Expanse. Okay, so since this episode is coming out on Thanksgiving, we want to say happy Thanksgiving to our American audience. Kind of doesn't really line up with the project, but hey, it's Thanksgiving, (laughs) so. Yeah, I mean, you can be thankful for space operas and multi-world, multi-character casts, uh, resurrected on different television uh channels and all of this all of the above i can be thankful for all that's that. true yeah i'm i'm thankful for it i'm, I'm really <laughs> thankful for the show so far so yeah yeah i mean uh, I, I know that not everybody not everybody celebrates but uh to those who do you know happy happy thanksgiving and uh we're thankful that we have all the listeners we do and the supporters we have and uh yeah we're we're happy that you guys are taking time out of your day to listen to this whenever that is definitely and this is a cool project. Uh, I think with the first half of the book, I would, didn't really know what to expect and because I, I didn't really have a lot to go off of with the first episode of the show that I'd seen. Uh, I'm really starting to get hooked into this. And like, you know, there's some warts. There's some things that they I'm sure they work out later on. But I, I enjoy the show. And, and I think honestly made me appreciate the book even a little bit more. So like, I'm excited once we finish this show out next week to finish up the book because I think it's there's a mutual kind of appreciation thing going on here. That's cool. It's cool when uh, something can sort of retroactively lend something to the to the source material and vice versa, right? That's one of the things I think we've encountered in, in some of our favorite projects where it's like both sides of it are, are playing off one another. And I, I agree. I can see that here early on. And I, I think you're right. I think it, it's, it's not perfect. Um, I think there are some things that I would, you know, some criticisms I would have. Um, but I also feel like this is a show that was sort of finding its footing early on. And it sounds like it maybe does because I know people are really passionate about it. And, um, you know, early on, a lot of shows take time to kind of figure themselves out. Um, so I'll be curious to see how this thing goes forward. Cause I'm excited to watch the rest of it before we get into it. I wanted to ask you what your actual experience was with this show, because I think both of us had previously kind of hinted that maybe we had some previous experience with it, but I wasn't sure exactly where we were at. I mean, I think the extent of my experience with the show went as far as like I saw the first episode, which is it's pretty, pretty interesting. And I think it has a good setup and everything. Um, but I didn't continue on and I planned on it. And, uh, you know, but other than that, it's just been word of mouth. People okay. constantly telling me how great the show is and how it's like the best sci fi show on on TV right now and how it's sort of embracing the kind of golden age of television that other massive shows have set up. Okay, so uh, I I was un- I actually couldn't remember what I had seen and what I hadn't, um, mm-hmm. and watching this uh, again, re- like I was able to figure it out. I think what happened was I fell asleep watching episode three. Wait, okay, four. No, sorry, episode four. So I have mm-hmm. I had seen three full episodes and and half of episode four. And then I think I had fallen asleep for whatever reason. I don't think because of the show. I just it was one of those times where you're watching TV late and you just happen to fall asleep. 
And then I think what happened, it got, I w- it was kind of weird because I wasn't sure what episode I was on. And I think that was one of the reasons why I didn't come back to it. I was like, did I watch that one or not? And I couldn't ever remember. Um, and that's because I only saw half of it. <laughs> so when we get there, episode four, like I, I remembered the first half and then the second half was new. So it was weird. Um, but yeah, now, now we are beyond that. We, we watched the first five episodes. Um, and you know, now I'm, now I'm getting into, into new territory. Yeah, I hate when that happens, especially with like podcasts. I listen to podcasts a lot as I'm going to sleep, and then it's just like when I lose my place, it's, you're never going to find it again. Yeah, anything where you need to keep track of it. Uh, you know, one of the more, I think the was it Amnesty uh, Adventure Zone that happened to me. Mm-hmm. I, I got all mixed up somewhere in there, and then I, I couldn't figure out where I was to like pick it back up. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> shout out to any Taz listeners. Yeah, shout out. I I've felt the same thing happened to me, but in balance. So so shame on me. Yeah, balance, man. You that's yeah. You got to get back into it. Yeah, you got to find your spot. Balance is worth it. But this isn't this isn't our Taz fan cast. <laughs> uh, might as well be. Might as well be. Uh, so anyway, to the show. Yeah, I want to know your your how this experience watching it was. Um, any general thoughts you want to you want to set up right right off the bat here. Mm. Well, for one, the show looks great in the way I'm watching it now. It's on Amazon. Um, it streams in UHD 4K, and mm-hmm. I have a really I have a great TV now. And I think in the past when I watched the show, it was not. I, I feel like it was 1080i. Like I remember this show not looking that great. And now that it has been, I don't know if it was remastered or just like the what I'm getting now from Amazon, it looks great. And uh, in general, I think the CGI is really, really well done. There's a few spots where it looks kind of like sci-fi channel hokey. Um, but for the most part, it, it's way better than that, which I was kind of surprised. And, um, you know, that was that was a pleasant surprise. And then the uh, most of the sets look great. Um, most of the uh, characters look great. I mean, really, I don't have a lot of complaints um, one thing I guess is that I found some of the, and this is throughout all five episodes we saw, um, occasionally the, like, whenever they're inside a ship, they get really, they love doing this blue light or la- not a light. It's like a blue filter almost where everything kind of looks blue and desaturated whenever they're on these, uh, on these different ships. And it sort of makes all the ships look the same and kind of, um, interchangeable. Like they're just reusing the same set over and over again or something, which maybe they are, I don't know. But, um, because of that, I, that, that loot, it lost some points for me where like, I'd I'd probably knock it down to like a B, B minus sort of set design. Um, but then there are stuff on like series station that I think really shines and looks really good. Uh, so it's, it's kind of a mixed bag, I guess. Um, the characters are good. I, I, it was funny because this is something we'll explore more, but, I felt kind of flipped on the our two main characters in in the yeah. show versus the I book. Agree. Uh, mm-hmm. Holden, we'll get into, but I have issues with this Holden, this version of Holden, and uh, but this version of Miller, I really like actually, and I found myself gravitating more towards this character. So yeah, I mean, it, just to touch on the Holden stuff right, real quick, I, I agree. They kind of they kind of changed his character almost fundamentally. It felt like to make him uh, more reluctant or make him I don't know. There, there's a lot of things there, but I really like Miller as well. And I don't know if it's just Thomas Jane or if it's the performance what they have on the page for him. Uh, I really enjoy that character, and I think like he really leans into that noir detective even more so than I even felt in the book potentially. Uh, but to talk about the just overall things like you were talking about. Um, I think I may have been a little more critical of of some of the CG, but being someone who watched like early 2000s Doctor Who and and like a lot of shows like that, 
it doesn't it's not a deal breaker for me it's just something that i notice and i think like that's that's something it's like a lot of the cg was very sci-fi like you're saying but i do think that they were bold in the fact that they they weren't because of the fact that it was like the technology maybe wasn't there the budget wasn't there it wasn't like they were shying away from it they were still having these like massive huge shots of spaceships and stations and docking and like they didn't shy there's a lot of it um and to do that in a, in the first season of a tv show especially on sci-fi i'm sure that the budget wasn't like massive but i mean some of that did look pretty good though remember like so like the flip and burn scene where they actually rotate and like all the stars shift and stuff like i thought that looked pretty good considering it's a tv budget on the sci-fi channel you know i'm like like considering what they're working with i was pretty impressed with it and that's how that's how i ultimately feel about it i just think it's like i i it's not like I didn't notice it. Like I was right. like, Ooh, this, this doesn't look great, yeah. especially in 4k, like you're saying. And I don't, I'm not sure if like the first time I saw it, like what format it was in, but like in 4k, I feel like sometimes you can even see the CG a little easier. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Like there are times that I can be, I can like, like, uh, for instance, like the bird that that's on series station, like is yeah. really pretty, pretty rough, but right. I forgive it. Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't take me out of it. There's a few times in the main area when they're looking at windows and stuff at like big, series parts mm-hmm. where it's very cg and you can tell um but yeah. i don't know that's not always a hallmark of bad cg um as much i think as it's just budgetary personally it's, it's, yeah it's like it to get to that level where it's where it's you can't even tell it's so hard like that that is that is a very difficult task really it just needs to be good enough to get the message across you're not supposed to be focusing right. on it anyway and that's that's really what it comes down to is like the character and the story the characters and the story are enough to to engage you and care about everything that's going on so that you're willing to forgive because i think in a much worse show it would be more blatantly obvious that like some of the cg didn't work but it's just I think it's because you're in, clicked in with these characters, it's it's a lot easier to, to right. look at something like that and move on. But speaking of the characters, I th- I think that this is also something to do with the sci fi channel and kind of the show trying to find its footing. But a lot of the dialogue felt like sci fi dialogue at times. Mm. Um, you know, I th- it's it, it like a lot of it sounded to me like words coming off a page and like when it was written seemed like it worked pretty well. And then when it's said doesn't quite work as well. Again, not not necessarily a deal breaker, but it does seem it does feel like something. Uh, it does feel like a show finding its footing, like you talked about. And I think I'm sure later on the CG and the dialogue and all this stuff isn't as much of an issue. And and it's just kind of this is an underdog show. Like it was it was on a on a network that not a lot of people are tuning into constantly, mm-hmm. um, at least anymore. And and I think it was trying to compete with things like Game of Thrones or like seeing what what AMC had been able to do with like The Walking Dead or Mad Men or Breaking Bad, anything like that. They were like, this is going to be our prestige TV show. And so they and for for that reason, I think that, that they chose a worthy project because it really is engaging and I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, and I do think that some of the changes maybe are there for book readers. I think that that like there were some interesting changes that didn't necessarily uh i think the holden stuff is the major major change that i would say affected the story but other than that there were there were things that happened differently which we'll talk about soon uh that that kind of led to other scenes that we didn't get in the book and it almost feels like we got more from this first five episodes than we got in the uh in the book so far I agree. In fact, it seems like it's going at a slower pace. Um, it seems like there was an attempt to take some more time to develop these characters, develop their relationships. Um, some of the changes were made in like how the crew members relate to each other, for example. Mm-hmm. I think most of that was smartly done. Uh, I do agree that on like a scene-to-scene level, um, there were some clunky bits with, with the dialogue and... Um, 
sometimes stuff gets it's a little, little campy hammy, or a little campy or a little, yeah. little cheesy yeah. at times. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But there are other times where it rises above that and it does something surprising. It, I noticed that, like, having read the book, I came in wanting to like the show. Whereas before, I came in with, like, that arms folded, like, okay, impress me kind of attitude. Yeah. Show me the best sci-fi show on TV right now. Yeah. And that, that you're, the way you come in to watch this thing is going to greatly affect how you feel about it. Because if you come in with arms folded, expecting to be turned off, you're going to find some stuff that's going to turn you off to it, right? You're going to be like, oh, this right. is what I thought it was. It's, you know, it's dumb. It's cheesy, whatever. Um, but if you, if you come in, like, looking for good and and ex- and being okay with some of that stuff early on, I think it's going to reward you. Uh, and so far, that that's proving to be the case. Oh, I did want to mention, so you had talked about it being a competitor for Game of Thrones, but I kept thinking about how this seems like it's supposed to be the successor to Battlestar Galactica. Did you did you watch that show? I, I didn't watch it. No, not really. I think I saw some of it here and there. Now, I I might be wrong about this, but I feel like that was also a sci-fi channel show. Correct me if I'm wrong. But either way, it has a similar feel to it. And um, so much so that they even did the... Battlestar Galactica did the thing where, regardless of gender, you referred to your commanding officer as sir. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if they invented that, but that's my strongest memory is from Battlestar Galactica doing that. And then I noticed they did that in the first episode here, and I thought it was maybe like a little like shout out to, you know, BSG fans. <laughs> I don't know. Um and then there's also the Mormon ship, um, like generation ship, uh, which if you know anything about about Battlestar Galactica, you'll know that there's potentially some carryover stuff there. So without getting into it, I, I felt like there was some direct trying to get that recapture that audience, because I think that was one of the successful shows that that Sci-Fi Channel had. And so I think they were trying to recapture that audience with this show. Which kind of makes sense that they would do that. Yeah, and I think that there was the. I think the want was there. I, I, do, I like there. What other sci-fi shows are really going on mm-hmm. currently, other than like, you know, Star Trek Discovery, which probably came out in response to something like this being popular. Which I, I don't know how the, di- the 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 years line up, but you know, yeah, I think that very clearly this this show owes a lot to sci-fi shows that came before, it, whether it's Star Trek or whatever it was, um, and it's moving it into like a more modern, I think, accessible area for people i think this is kind of a hard sci-fi show accessible to a larger audience without without saying that's to like dumb it down or anything like that it's not like it's broadly appealing it's just i think it's accessible and um they don't and that's another thing that i was just thinking about is they don't they really don't hold your hand like they're they're just expecting you to to understand and i think they respect their audience for that reason well, and, and the, speaking of some of this hard sci-fi elements, uh, that reminded me of, like, th- there's a ton of zero-G in this show, mm-hmm. and that's a very yeah. hard thing to pull off. Uh, it's just difficult in general, but then the fact that they're doing it so frequently, and they're getting away a lot with, like, saying, oh, there's, they, they have magnetic boots, so they're able to walk around like normal in this zero-G environment. Um, but it's, it's, again, the kind of thing where if, if you come in wanting to give them leeway you're going to be okay with it. But if you come in hypercritical waiting for them to slip up, you're going to see lots of things where they mess up some of the way like the gravity should behave or things are inconsistent, inconsistently shown. And, um, you know, some of that stuff, I was noticing things throughout where it's like, well, if they're in zero G right now, then this shouldn't be happening this way and all this stuff. But you know, it's like they're trying and you got to give them credit for trying. And ultimately some of it's going to be budgetary. It's, you can't just, you can't do effects on every shot. It's going to be, it's you're it's just going to get too expensive. 
you know yeah i think it's the attempt that people appreciate and that that want to make it as realistic as they can um there are a couple of things that they have like that i find to be like a signal to the audience like when they tap the boots together and the red light comes on for their magnet boots like that kind of stuff is like you know it makes sense to explain it to the audience and it's it's kind of cool like uh people can latch onto something like that and yeah uh it's something in this world that like because they do it so often it's become like a kind of i think it's like a expanse thing to to like click the boots together magnet boots on but i wanted to move in to talk about uh Nair and Shankar, if you're ready yeah i think i want to go through uh our thoughts about all the characters in more detail um mm-hmm. but i think let's do that first and then we'll circle back around to characters okay Naren Shankar is an indian american writer producer and director of several television series. He served as co-showrunner on the long-running CBS crime drama CSI and Almost Human, among others. As a writer and producer, Shankar has contributed with works for Farscape, CSI, Night Visions, The Outer Limits, The Chronicle, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Sequest 2032, (laughs) Grimm, and Star Trek Voyager. Wow. And the expanse, <laughs> and the expanse currently. Yeah. So he, you know, I think he's very clearly a uh, science fiction lover. He's, yeah. you know, embedded in the Outer Limits, Star Trek, I, and, like, and then you got Farscape. CSI, right? For uh, CSI, for, yeah. for Miller, for the detective <laughs> you know, the crime scene, And yeah. you know what? It and you know what? It kind of really does show, right? Like yeah. I think that it's like this nice balance of like a CSI and like a, a classic noir. Yeah, I mean it's Miller's plotline feels too. very CSI. Yeah, he has received his BS, MS, and PhD degree in applied physics and electrical engineering from Cornell wow. University. Okay, so he knows his shit. Yeah, so he's like he he's definitely got a good grasp on this kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, and so like for him to be a filmmaker as well is really interesting to bring that kind of background and and again like I I feel like someone like this appreciates that sort of realistic touch and. And although we love sci-fi stories because they're far, you know, far-reaching sort of like future stories for the most part, it, it to have that grounded element really, I think, uh, grounds it for back of, lack of a better term, grounds it for the for the audience and makes it more um, tangible and and like relatable. Yeah, I agree with that. Sounds like he has the perfect background to pull this off. You know, from the experience he had running these other or working on these other shows. Um, he can bring all that to bear here. Uh, and I think it all shows. Yeah. And just to mention two other people who are very important to The Expanse, Hawk Osby and and Marcus Fergus are are two of the kind of co-show runners. Like they, I guess they're more producers. They would be considered producers and writers. They, interestingly enough, are known for their Oscar nominated screenplay for Children of Men and the blockbuster Marvel movie Iron Man. How about that? It all circles back to previous projects. It's all connected. Five degrees of children of men. Seven <laughs> degrees of... <laughs> Three degrees of ink to film. It seems like we don't yeah. need all five to connect. It's... it's No, it's, it's getting world. really close. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, th- I think in those hands, those three individuals, I think that very clearly this show has good writing behind it, um, good vision, good voices. And I think that's right, just right there you should feel confident that like a show like this could can and you know it's tough to make everything succeed but like this could this could just in the gestation period and before season 1 people could look at this on paper and be like this this could be really really good and clearly people feel that way so do you have any uh, any stories about the 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 concept for this or or when it first took off or how they found out about Leviathan Wakes and this series i i don't have that but i do have um i think it was just a situation where 
the you know the rights to the story were being shopped around by James S. A. Corey or as we know them, Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank, who are yeah. the two two writers who are under that work under that pseudonym. Uh, they just to speak to how this whole all goes down are very very involved in this show. Okay. Uh, to to the extent that you know we talked about in our in our last episode how they were or they worked closely with George R. R. Martin and they had that relationship with him. They said that like as much as Game Game of Thrones was was really influenced by George R. R. Martin, clearly it's his work, but he was also involved early on. They are like he- more heavily involved than he ever was, and like they are, they are very much engaged in, in what's going on with the expanse, and a lot of the changes and things like that are pitch- pitched by them and pushed along by them, and Interesting. so they're they're involved in the process. So anytime there's a change, if you don't like it, maybe think about who was writing it. You know, it might not <laughs> have been these people; it may have been the original storytellers. And I think that the the Miller stuff specifically is something to look at where they felt there was a lot more to flesh out there. I know this show was canceled and then picked back up and so on and so forth. Um, it sounds like the same creatives are involved throughout or did they change anybody over? From what I could find, it's still the same creatives involved and everybody's still running the show uh, cool. as, as it was before. But to talk about that a little bit, yeah. basically sci-fi, sci-fi felt it was time to, to cancel the show just based on ratings and that kind of thing. And there was a huge outcry by the Expanse audience. Uh, and ultimately, it became a huge social media event that was going on. Hashtag Save the Expanse campaign was going on. Something like uh, I read that 138,000 signatures had been signed on this petition to save it. There was a GoFundMe page. Um, and ultimately... I, I'm sure you know, but basically, this is Jeff Bezos' favorite show on okay. TV. So, so I, I had heard that. I didn't know if that was yeah. true or not. So Amazon uh, swooped in at the last minute and kind of... Uh, so Jeff Bezos, from what, I've, from what I've read, Jeff Bezos was in contact with some of the cast and crew and basically said, like, I want to save The Expanse. I don't want it to, to end here because there's a lot of material to continue on with and, like, it's my favorite show. So there was negotiations that went on and ultimately he saved the expanse and what's crazy is there was a there was like a Q&A panel that was going on that Jeff Bezos was on and the cast and crew from a lot of the crew from from the expanse was in the crowd when he announced officially that the expanse had been saved and like everyone freaked out and the the cast was in the was in the crowd and they all stood up and started cheering and everybody everybody loved it and they took wow. pictures with Jeff Bezos afterwards for having is there saved vi- the show. is there video of that there is, yeah. I watched. I watched the video. It's kind of like a convention center room, and they're just nice. like he's Jeff Bezos is up on stage, and all the actors start freaking. I'm out I'm gonna have to check and... that out. Maybe we'll put it in our show notes so that so that other people can also check it out because that sounds cool to me. I want to see that. Yeah. So so basically, after season three, sci-fi cancels. Amazon swoops in, saves the day, and now there's season four. And like honestly, with the buzz that it got on social media and everything, uh, that's a huge marketing thing right there for the show. Yeah. And. I'm sure that they're going to put the mar- the money into the marketing campaign. I've already seen stuff uh, for the marketing campaign. So from here on, I, it's in pretty safe hands at this point. I feel like with it being Jeff Bezos' favorite show, it could go as long as the the creators and the showrunners deem necessary or maybe all the books. Who knows? Yeah, there's, there's going to be nine books, so they're going to have plenty of material to get through, especially at the sort of stately pace that it seems like they're taking here early on. I don't know if it picks up later and covers more ground or, or what have you, but... Um, yeah, it seems like they could do this show for a long time if the, if the interest is there and, you know, they can keep everybody on board. So I read an article where the authors Abraham and Frank were talking about, it was around the time that season two was being, being, uh, 
like the trailer was out and they were kind of starting to, to promote season two of the show. Uh, and they just talked about how they love the show and they love what, it, what they're doing with the expanse and all of that. But they wanted to talk about how, you know, it, it was getting an infamous nickname of Game of Thrones in space. And this is a quote here. Daniel Abraham said, I think the most pretentious and self-aggrandizing answer would be that it's the science fictional version of war and peace. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I don't know that they like love the comparison to Game of Thrones in space. Obviously, everybody wants to be Game of Thrones something something. Because it's popular. It's, yeah. Because it's popular. So, uh, the comparisons are there to be made. We've already, I've already done it a few times, but I don't, you know, I don't think it's a one-to-one comparison. Clearly, uh, and, and honestly, I would say not at all in these early episodes. Um, I think if someone told me this is this is Game of Thrones in space, and I watched what we watched, I, I would say what? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, this feels a lot more were to me like a uh, a modern, uh, more uh, you know, our solar system recognizable version of a Battlestar Galactica type show. Um, mm-hmm. which in, I, I know that's not as, you know, sticky and catchy, but I liked Battlestar Galactica and I, I could see this as being like, if you're a fan of that, this is a good follow up. Um, I think it has more to offer than just that says too, but, um, I don't see a lot of the sort of political intrigue really taking off early here in the way that I, that, you know, Game of Thrones hooks you in the same way. Um, but it's there and they're definitely doing more with the politics and stuff in the show than they were doing in the book. I'll definitely grant them that. And that's the main thing. I think people are looking at kind of the vying for power, the, you know, the three factions. And then you see like the people and you do see that already with, with a character like Ava Sorella, uh, who I don't even think we saw at all in the book. And I don't know if that's a show only character or, or if, what, what that is, but very clearly that's the kind of Game of Thrones stuff people are seeing, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, I, I, I guess I can get where they're coming from, but it just, as far as like the feel of the show, to me, it doesn't feel the same as Game of Thrones. Um, right. So I, I can also see why maybe uh, Abraham and Frank are, are saying, eh, let's maybe move away from that comparison and, and move it towards something else. I did want to mention, uh, before we move into plot here and characters, uh, you talked about the sets, and I was reading that the sets were built uh in a sound stage and there were th- there were sets that were three stories high and occupied eighty thousand square feet that has to be serious station some of that stuff is really incredible those sets yeah. are, are are amazing yeah and that's that's another reason why i think regardless of the cg like that environment they sell it really well yeah. like the underbelly of series like you seeing like the like the areas where like um the riots break out and things like that all the way up to the nicer areas with like where it looks pristine and all the grass is growing and there are birds flying around uh, those those sets are really, really well done. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's move into the characters like you were talking about here. Um, do you want to yeah. rattle them off and just go through them or should we just try to... Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to get your... Weekend. I just want to get your thoughts. So so we got um, uh, some of our main ones that we had, we had both in, in book and show. Uh, what about... Let's go through the crew. Now, we already talked about Miller, so we can probably skip him. Let's let's go through the crew, though. We got... What about Alex, the pilot? How, how, did, you, how did you feel about him in the show? I actually think I like him more in the show than, mm. than I did in the book. I, I, the thing is, like, I feel like we almost got more from the characters than we did in the book, so it might be tough to, to say which ones I, I prefer because like, we haven't seen as much in the book. But Although we have, because the book, we actually go further in the story than, than the yeah. show through five episodes does. I think pace-wise, though, it moves faster, and I think we spend right. less time getting to know them. Um, mm-hmm. I think Alex and uh, Amos, we really didn't get to know at all until really much later in the story. It was when they went to Tycho Station, I think, is, is when we finally got to kind of see them outside of their 
their roles. Um, before that, they they really weren't doing a whole lot, um, in my opinion, at least. Whereas here, yeah, I think we're getting a lot more. We're, Alex has a lot more character to him. He's he is very uh, he like tells a lot of corny jokes, and he he has a lot of these like sayings that he's that he's doing. And, yeah. You know, he reminds me of like a sci-fi, like he's a sci-fi pilot. Like that's like he he definitely fits in that archetype a little bit. I think the jury's still out for me. I can he's see. St- this I think he character. still brings more than just that, though. Like I think I, I do think there's enough character there, and I think with the Mars stuff that we that we learn, like it seems to be there's there's more there backstory wise. Yeah. No, I agree. I think the jury's still out in the sense that I I like him okay. He's not like my favorite yet or anything, but I think there's right. a lot of potential there for him to to continue to develop into somebody I really like. Um, mm-hmm. I can see how he could become a fan favorite. I just don't know if he's that already at this point. Um, yeah. Now let's move into, we got, we got Amos here who I think is, is a pretty big change. Um, mm-hmm. They, they introduced this tie to Naomi and he, I think he really shines in having mm-hmm. this link and this sort of protective, uh, ag- aggressive, uh, personality, but directed towards another member of the crew, in a mysterious way, right? Yeah, definitely. But I, I, it like, definitely endears him to the audience because he's like he's a badass and he's hard edged. But at the same time, it's like he's on our side. Whereas like he could just be a dick and like like he could be that same character and be a dick to everybody. Yeah. But instead, he has like this caring side where he always goes with Naomi and and I, I don't know. I think I'm really interested to find out what what all is built into that. Yeah, me too. It's, it's it's an open question. Why is he behaving this way? What's his connection to Naomi? And right. uh, it's cool, and I want to find out more. Um, in general, I, you know, he's he's one of my favorite characters. I think um, he doesn't mm-hmm. do a ton, but usually, um, usually when he does, it's it's interesting and it you know grabs your attention. I liked when he was threatening. Uh, threatening Holden like he rip his helmet off and <laughs> like throw him out into space or whatever when they were doing yeah. the antenna uh, some of that stuff I thought was pretty fun and kind of shows you the kind of guy he is um, the way he was cha- he was taunting the Mars uh, guard and trying to get him to 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 take the bait and stuff I don't know it's just some some good moments early on with him and then we have Naomi here who uh, I is probably one of my favorite characters in both versions um mm-hmm. i think she's great well i wanted to ask you with naomi I, I might be misremembering this but i really felt like they gave her like more like she clearly has more of a of sway on the crew specifically because of the aim like she can say stuff to amos but she's i think she stands up to holden way more and like and like she's a presence more than she is maybe in the book but i don't know is that me just misremembering how much no she I, does I, I think you're right, and, and because I think Naomi in the book is a lot more uh, supportive in a in like a in like a direct way to Holden, um, just like backing his play and telling him like you're the captain now that you got to take charge yeah. and and sort of like getting behind him and helping him out and kind of being the first mate to him as captain right was is kind of the vibe. Whereas here yeah. the loyalty is is different a little bit, and she pushes back on Holden a lot. And right. a lot of that comes down to the the differences that they gave us with Holden character in the show, which we got to talk about now. Um, I saved him for last because I think I'm going to be the most critical of some of this. Um, I yeah. do I do see why they did some of the things. I think it was to create a certain drama, have him be more hot headed, have him be more um, almost Im- immature, and 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 uh, not handle things as well. Um, and because of that, it creates more drama with the rest of the crew. Um, so you know what I mean. So so if I'm being generous, like I can see some of that. What what are what are your thoughts on some of the changes? So uh, the, I mean, I think clearly what they did hurt Holden as a character. But I think in in that in so doing that, 
they were able to allow other characters to shine more in the way that I was just talking about, like Naomi standing. Like, it doesn't really make as much sense if, because what I interpreted with Holden from the book was he's kind of just like, he's reluctant for sure, but he's like a next man up, like, like for the cause type of person. Whereas here he's very much like, he's like lashing out and irrational and like like he maybe even shouldn't even necessarily be in charge it's just right. like well he, he doesn't to want to be he tried right. to turn down the exo thing when the when the guy at the camp the captain of the camp tried to give it to him he didn't want it right uh you know yeah it does give reluctant. the other characters a chance to like push back against him and maybe like uh, you know push back against a traditional role of like a somebody who becomes who reluctantly has to take charge in a sci-fi story because it's very clearly like usually a white man who who's like oh i have to step up and do this thing and i think it's cool to like kind of make him not amazing in every way and then like yeah. allow the other characters to bounce off of that um, but at the same time, like, I do think it hurts his character. Like I said, like, I don't think that he's as, I think that he's probably my least favorite on the crew at this point. In right. The show. I, so I had a couple things, uh, for that. Yeah. He, he has sort of a, like a whine and sort of a, um, sort of a pout that he does a lot. Oh yeah. Um, I know and, exactly what you're talking about. And, and I just find it really off putting. It just really makes yeah. me not like him. <laughs> it just and, like, to me seems like he's like trying to look like really attractive. Like he's like, I'm like pondering everything right now and I'm super attractive. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's going on there. It's very pouty. It, it's, I, I, you know, it's, I, I don't want to go too hard on him because maybe he really turned, maybe the character, this is like, you know, the ugly duckling who's going to become the beautiful swan or whatever, right? Like it's going to, maybe it's going to transform over time. But for now, I uh, remember how in the book I, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sign, sign me up. I want Holden to be my captain. I did not yeah. feel the way in, that way in the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, uh, I think they'll probably pivot and like make his character, uh, more of a leader because clearly he i think he is being set up and like maybe even by the end of the season maybe this is all intentional maybe like we're not we're supposed to feel like i don't want him to be my leader um but for now yeah i definitely think that his character is just like meh i want to definitely talk about some of the people through these first five episodes that we see constantly seeing actors that i recognize and a lot of them that i love throughout the show they're just popping in yeah jared (laughs) harris is in it uh the uh i forget his name right now but the guy from breaking bad Oh, he was uh, the XO. You talking about he Mike? The, yes, he was the XO. That's the like character's name in, in, in Breaking Bad. In Breaking Bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was surprising to see Mike there. I was like, whoa, wait. For like, and what's crazy <laughs> is like some of these some of these actors showed up and then got blasted away in the yeah, first episode, just like a bit part almost. Yeah, which is cool. And I, I like uh, Fred Johnson is is from The Walking Dead. He's an, an actor from The Walking oh, yeah. Dead. His name is um, Chad Coleman. Okay, yeah. So. It's just, and and then I was just across the board really surprised that even Shed, like Shed, I forget where I've seen him before, but oh yeah, he is super recognizable. I feel like he's been in some comedies or something, which like we we glossed over him, but obviously he is one of the original survivors, and and we should give him his yeah. due. Um, Honestly, and, and, might prefer prefer him in the book, maybe even really. I think there's yeah. just more to him in the show, though. I think they they gave yeah. him more to do. They gave him more lines. They gave um, him like panic attacks and like he has to overcome something in that in that episode, which we should. De- well, we, I mean, we'll talk about each episode, but that episode was entirely basically additional from to the book. Like almost none of that stuff happened. So, right. That's maybe a reason why we care about these characters more in the show. It seems like we like them more so far because we, we have had these each characters had interactions with each other in different ways and except ways that we hadn't seen. Before. <laughs> I like him. Except Holden. Yeah. And like his the other thing is like the coffee thing. Like I understand and get it, but I also felt like it was a little that was like where it was a little cheesy for me as well. I was just like, yeah. I get it. I get the coffee thing, but he's like, I don't know. 
Yeah, he was so happy. And he just, I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Yeah, and he's like, they're crushing up matches. I guess that's the thing is like I it mean, connected him to to um, Ade, I think her name was. Yeah, who who died? She was like crushing the matches to make the coffee better. Yeah, I mean, and I I get it. I love coffee. I would also be happy when I find you know good coffee or be searching for good coffee. But yeah, I mean, just some of the stuff just doesn't play as well as I think they were hoping it would. But we're being yeah. pretty critical here. Let's let's move into some of these these episodes. I think because I actually do have a lot of good things to say. A lot of things I'm really liking. Yeah, I mean, overall, hopefully it doesn't sound too negative. We're just trying to nitpick here, but uh, <laughs> I, I really am enjoying the show. And like, I, I've been thinking about how once we finish our coverage, like I'm just going to blow through the next couple seasons so I can be ready for the yeah. for the next one. But I guess we have to talk about whether whether that works for the for the Ink to Film podcast or not. What if this is uh, what if this is runaway popular? People want us to do a season two. Well, then I think that there's definitely <laughs> ways that we can we could still do a season two. Well, I would say let us know quick because. <laughs> If you really want us to do season two, uh, let us know soon so that we don't accidentally just binge it, <laughs> which we might yeah. do otherwise. Right. So let's let's jump into this first episode. The first one is called Dulcinea. In the asteroid belt near Saturn, James Holden and the crew of the ice freighter Canterbury investigate a distress call from a mysterious derelict ship, the Scopuli. On Ceres Station, Detective Miller begins an off-the-books investigation of missing heiress Julie Mao. And that's our pilot. Yeah, I mean, we also get scenes on Earth. We get um, some of the coolest stuff, actually. We didn't t- really touch on Earth, but I loved seeing sort of uh, New York as it is now, um, yeah. which they did a lot of work on that, you know, and, and mm-hmm. the way life is on Earth. And then the belter who they suscept to the, they, they put on these gravity, uh, gravity hooks where he's like tortured by Earth's gravity. Yeah. And all of that was really cool and Well, and um, just not even to mention like the actor that they cast for that, like he very clearly has a certain look to him and, yeah. and it worked really well for that Belter look and I was like, wow, yeah. like that's very like evocative of what was in the book and it works so well. I was thinking like they must be snatching up all these like seven foot guys, <laughs> you know, yeah. seven foot people that are really like lanky and like saying, Come play a belter on our show. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it's CGI and CGI and camera tricks and stuff for some of it, but it seems like they Probably. do have a lot of genuinely just tall, lanky people on this yeah, show. And how about the that? That was pretty brutal. The torturing of the gravity torturing was was brutal. Yeah, yeah. They put them on hooks. It really shows that uh, these are different humans, right? They're so fundamentally different from one another because of the gravity where they grew up, and and you know whether that's Mars or or earth or the belt and and you can see how they can become such a faction thing which we got to talk about the martians too as we get there more because i have a lot of observations about what i'm seem to be getting from martian culture which is kind of fascinating but uh yeah it's episode one man uh we we also get there's like a th- we once again start with Jul- julie and then we see some sort of flash of something crazy happening inside this room and then it immediately cuts um, right and so again, we're just getting a little taste, and we haven't really gotten that reveal yet. I feel like now we're two episodes into our podcast on this, and we still don't know really what's going on. And I really mm-hmm. want to know, <laughs> like, what is going yeah. on with this bizarre disease or whatever it is, which I only yeah. know from the book, which we really don't know anything about it in the show yet. You know, there's a lot of mystery. Yeah, I wonder how much we're gonna get even in the first season. Like, I wonder if how much will be left un, unanswered in the first season. It's, I think to end this sort of story, we'll probably get a lot of answers on this disease thing, but a lot of the war stuff and, and like maybe like who's ultimately pulling the strings and all this kind of thing. Like, I don't know if it goes through multiple books and multiple seasons, but there's got to be some threads, obviously, that aren't, aren't answered. 
So we got to talk about the Canterbury because there's a lot of time spent on the Canterbury, developing characters on the Canterbury, developing the relationships, um, so that when the Canterbury blows up at the end of episode one, um, it really packs a punch because all of that just goes goes up in a flash, you know? And yeah. uh, so you feel that. And I remember that being like a, a pretty strong hook for this show of like, oh God, yeah. what now? These guys are have, have lost their, their ship. And, and I think like... That's surprising. If you go into this, you think like, oh, this is the setting. This is the ship. You think the Canterbury is it. And then it gets mm-hmm. blown up, you know. So it's it's fascinating. They're talking about how it's like a bucket of bolts and they have to like bang on bang on it to make the elevator work and like that kind of thing. Uh, but it's their their, you know, yeah. bucket of bolts and they're they're going to make it through. And uh, I think they really drilled home more like the sort of like these are civilians or maybe maybe yeah. a couple of things really drilled at home. But this uh, these are just people that are working in their their there's no reason for them to be attacked unless by pirates and that moment of like oh don't worry about it they're just gonna they just want the cargo give them the cargo and you guys might take some casualties but but survive and we'll be okay and then just nuked yeah i mean you get that guy that gets his arm cut off by the ice and then they have to they're like repairing it and you get you get talking about him yeah you get mike from breaking bad you get the captain who's got his own collection of like figurines and Mm -hmm. they're doing all this work to set up these characters and then they're just all gone at the same moment Um, and i love that they did that because like that that like you know those little character moments those little things are like uh, those are threads that are ended like severed right there and we're like wait but there's so much more story to dig into there and it's just like nope you don't get it because that's and that that's really you know, once that nuke goes off, that's why we feel so much of that. We're just like, because like I'm thinking like, fuck, Mike from Breaking Bad. That was interesting. Like, what was really going on with him? Like, he was really losing it. It seems like, uh, and like he, he was like starting to like you know deal with some space isolation stuff. And and yeah. I don't know. I think this episode was did a great job of like setting up obviously the noir detective story that's going to be going on. And, and like, yeah. Well, Havelock, Havelock's quite different. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. definitely. Yeah, Havelock is important because he's much more prominent and like his partner more so than just somebody he's like kind of talking to. He yeah. was his partner as well in the book or was he just like another He, he is, but he thing? quickly gets transferred or something or leaves. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very like, this is much more developing that sort of buddy cop dynamic where it's like the old grizzled veteran versus the new guy who's like get, getting shown the ropes, getting introduced to station. He's very optimistic about everything. Yeah, he's sort of an op- optimist and sort of a, a purist, and and he doesn't like all the corruption he's seeing. And mm-hmm. you know, the, our other guy is like steeped in it. You know, so yeah. and and the effect he's having on him, and vice versa. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's 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 a very classic setup for for a classic storyline, but in space. Yeah, and ultimately, I was I was also reading the the writers were talking about the sort of idea behind genre and in sci-fi specifically, and how sci-fi can encompass many different genres within within it. And what I mean, ultimately, it's true what this for podcast any is show, genre, but okay, <laughs> that's that's what I was gonna say is that <laughs> yeah. what ultimately, like what what's really to be seen here is that like these genres aren't aren't like just because it's a horror film, it doesn't or horror story, whatever it is, it doesn't only have to be horror. Yeah. There can be other elements, and like this this sort of sci-fi story with a noir twist to it or like a detective story or preach preach yeah i mean it's just (laughs) i I think that it's really interesting to think about and and i think that you know people really respond to these kinds of things you can you can blend these genres and in fact that's the new it's the same thing with genres of music we're seeing these days where where you're seeing on like hip-hop rock you know folk infused and you're seeing all these different mashups and we're seeing that i think in genre fiction too you're getting mashups and it's because it, it it you're you're taking elements of things you love, you bring them together, and you're making something that um, is familiar yet 
fresh, you know? Right. And, and you're also kind of doubling your audience. Like, if you're yeah. like, oh, I only like horror, I only like this. If you blend the two, if you blend the two, then maybe your then audience member who otherwise wouldn't have checked out this horror, if it's a horror sci-fi, maybe somebody's super into horror and they get recommended this book, they're like, oh, there's horror elements in it. And uh, it's enough to make them realize they like sci-fi more than they thought. Absolutely. All right. So before we move to the next episode, I'd wanted to talk about one of these opening shots. It was, I think, after the Julie stuff, we see this drone flying around Ceres Station. And it's just like very expansive, very long take that's showing all. I'm sure it's very CG augmented, but we're, we, we are flying with this drone all over. We're seeing sort of the more wealthy area. We fly through the pipes and we go down into the more low income area. And like there's like the riots kind of or maybe not even riots at that point, but it's very clearly like the underbelly of this society. Um, I think that's that was like a moment where I was like, wow, like although maybe the CG wasn't perfect through that, that's very clearly showing like some cinematic knowledge and like setting up a space and, um, you know, letting an audience understand kind of with one shot visually, letting an audience see for themselves what this society is like. And uh, I, I just thought it was really effective and also, bold i think it was a it was a nice choice to to really go for it i i love the look and feel of this place um it feels big it feels varied um it feels like there's a different personality different locations which is all important right so so yeah Mm -hmm. i agree i think it's a smart choice okay so episode two it's called the big empty holden and crew fight for survival in a badly damaged shuttle miller uncovers clues about julie mao as water rationing hits series station on Earth, UN Deputy Undersecretary Christian Ava Sorella interrogates a Belter terrorist. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's that's more the gravity hooks interrogation, right? Um, which maybe we we jumped on a little early, but yeah, this breakdown you you'd mentioned before, like that was an added thing that we get a lot more of here, right? Um, with them trying to fashion a, a a way to survive, trying to fashion a way to get a broadcast out, and all of that. And they're running out of oxygen, so it's yeah. like very tense. And the oh yeah, that each was character cool. gets to gets to like kind of bounce off each other, and they had well, to well, they Shed, sacrificed. Shed saves uh, Alex Alex's life, right? Right. And and you know that that's a heroic moment for Shed, where once again makes us really like him, which is you know evil for what's coming down the line here, but uh, effectively done. Yeah, and and this sort of showing Naomi as the engineer who can solve all these problems, I mean, is setting up her character in ways that I'm sure will help later. Uh, we really get to see the characters. This is a great way to show the characters and say like this, you know, to, to signal to the audience, this is what this character's role is. This is kind of where they operate within and this is how they interact with the so-and-so character because I feel like everybody kind of had a moment to interact with each other on that one. Um, it is interesting because I kind of felt like with a story like this before starting the expansive when i thought of it as a as a story i kind of always thought there would be like tons and tons of characters but realistically it seems like five maybe four characters are are our main characters we get and then maybe miller as well so six or so are our main characters who going forward will go on all these adventures and stuff whereas i kind of thought it was like a they've added a few more characters into miller's side um you know mm-hmm. uh, the the woman at the uh, at Star Helix, who he has this previous existing relationship with. I don't know if that's supposed to be an ex-wife or not. I don't know if we know that yet, um, or if it's hinted that it potentially they were at least dating in the past or something. Um, yeah. They have they ha- th- all of that. I think is an added layer that I, I'm inter- going to be interested to see if they if they develop further in the show. 
Well, I can't, and I can't help but think about in the book, we know that he gets fired and leaves. So it's like how much of these, the threads that, he, that are being set up here are going to continue on through the rest of the story and everything. Right. Although in the book, he goes to another whole uh, station and he, he's at Eros and he sees this whole new society and then all the stuff goes down. Um, I wonder if that's going to get moved, you know, or, or are they yeah, going to maybe do, it's all uh, series. Maybe it'll keep it all in series. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the water rationing on series is interesting too because it's kind of a direct cause and effect from from their ship from the Canterbury going up with the ice. Yeah, I like. And that. I don't know if that was I don't know if that was specifically stated or if it was implied in the book, um, or if there even was water rationing going on on series. But I think that that was a nice detail, and it really I mean the idea of not having oxygen or water, which we kind of sometimes take for granted here, uh, is you know in space is just kind of the ultimate resource. Obviously, like being able to breathe, being able to drink. Yeah, I think there was rationing going on, but I don't know that it was, I don't remember it being directly tied to the Canterbury, but, you know, I'm probably wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. I frequently so, am. So, I, I don't know if you felt this way as well, but, like, knowing that what was canon, per se, in the book, knowing, like, what actually happened, when this episode was starting out, I was like, this is a filler episode. Like, I was I was kind of thinking that at first, but uh, I think okay. they, but, but I didn't feel that way by the end, because they really did use it as a good opportunity to show the relationships and it's believable that it would have happened within the other story. Although I guess the, it does, it doesn't, but like there's, there's a, a certain amount of believability to it that I think helps the story along rather than just, you know, fills time. Well, they create sort of a bottle episode. They noticed that the moment was rife with like dramatic potential and that mm-hmm. they could have this uh, ticking clock. They could have this, this small uh, compressed situation where we see these characters at each other's throats uh, you know, having to improvise and, and I think it leads to some good drama. And then, yeah, that all ultimately leads to the remember the can't message that goes out. So I think this illustrates one of the differences between the Holdens, our, our book Holden and our show Holden in the book. It seems like he is very, uh, like he, he is championing the truth. He, he, he believes that the truth needs to be out. People need to know He's going to he's going to specifically tell what he knows. And he describes that the that the ships that attacked him were using Mars tech and he, because that's what happened. And he you know what I mean? Like he, he's very by the like by, by the facts. Mm-hmm. Whereas here we immediately get Holden saying Mars attacked us. <laughs> um, right. He's not he's he's jumping to conclusions already. And that is a, a key difference. I think here he's sending out this message because he wants there to be revenge taken on Mars. He is already convinced that it's Mars and that they're the ones who attacked. There's no doubt in his mind. And then he's proven to be wrong later. But like this is a Holden that is um, he's just got different priorities. And that yeah. shift in priorities, uh, I think, is a fundamental change in his character, at least early on. Uh, I, yeah, and I think it's just personality based because, like you said, he's he, in the book. He is by the book. Like I feel like he's a he's a company man. Like he's he's doing it for the, and like justice and and the, you know justice will prevail type of person. Whereas here, it's almost like maybe even a little more selfish. Um, because although although Holden in the book was kind of fired up by the fact that he he sent out this message wanting vengeance, like because he thought it was Mars. And he went for it. He was, I think, this Holden in the show is kind of um, wanting these things, and he is affected by the fact that Mars attacked them. But at the same time, it's just like it's not it's not for the greater good. It's more, I think, selfish to me. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe um, or yeah, he wants vengeance. Um, 
Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I mean, it sounds like we're talking about the same thing here, but there are small differences. And and yeah, mm-hmm. Hol- Holden's in the book. It, it felt more like this happened, and the universe needs to know that it happened so that they can figure out who's behind it. This is the information I have. This is the evidence I have. Take that, and then you can do further research and try and figure out who's actually behind it. I don't think he knew at that point. He just was like, we got attacked by somebody. It was unknown. This is what I did know, though. They had certain Mars tech, and right. you know he conveyed that, whereas Holden was already ready to start a war. Um, so, so it's just, he's just a very fiery sort of like, he was almost having a tantrum about it. Um, which I know that sounds, it sounds reductive, but like, he's just got this strong sort of teenager pouty vibe to me that I get. Like, he just seems very juvenile at times. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm really hoping he, this, this course of the season is going to show him growing up in a sense. Um, I think I'm hoping that that's what we're getting. Yeah. The, the, oh shit moment of this is that they, he sent this message out after they all fought him over it and they're like trying to, trying to kill him for, for doing this. They pull a gun on him at one point. Uh, but the oh shit moment is they're like, well, we were within range of a Mars ship and the Mars ship had a jammer on and they're the only ones who heard it. And then they get picked up by the, like the Martians, like stop them and, and board their ship basically and they're coming to take them away well that's not true though i mean they, they right it's not it doesn't end think, up being the case but it's yeah. like that, that's what they think that's what they're worried about yeah mm-hmm. and then we get the donager which is uh what next episode right yeah it's the next episode is called remember the can't it's episode three holden and crew were taken prisoner aboard the donager the flagship of the martian congressional republic navy and begin to turn against each other while contending with riots on series miller connects julie to the mysterious derelict ship the scopuli. Ava Sorella engages in a nasty game of politics with an old friend. So yeah. I felt that this this episode, my favorite thing was the the interrogations. They're being kind of like broken down and forced to, mm. forced to go against each other. After we've seen them kind of come together and work together, uh, we show like how strained their relationship actually is. And I think all of this pulling and pressing and pulling and pressing of these people against each other and for each other is going to lead to them being like a really solid unit. I, I have a feeling in the future. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I thought it was interesting that they are, you know, this whole thing is them trying to turn everybody against Naomi, saying that she has these OPA connections and that she's actually behind all of this and she's a terrorist. Um, but I like that they stick together and don't give in. Um, I, I was trying to figure out now we don't know a ton about Mars society early on, but they're they're They seem like they're hyper militaristic, which that seems to be true in the book, too. Um, I noticed they they wear a lot of red. <laughs> they have red uh, visors, and they're you know they, they they have like sort of a sort of a uniform to them, right? And we see a lot of red on their mm-hmm. ships, um, which I guess is to signify the red planet. Kind of makes sense. Um, but then it was interesting when he was giving him. I don't. This might have been a next episode, but the guy was was really breaking down like why he doesn't like Earth and why he doesn't like Earth Earthers, and how right. um, he was talking about how the oceans and. Yeah, the oceans as far as the eye could ski, and they take it all for granted. And they want. They, and he even said like, "You guys want government handouts? All you want right. is that." And and so I was like, "Okay, so is Mars like a like a hyper libertarian society, yet also conservationalist? Because they they seem like very much about like preserving the environment and de- developing an environment for Mars." And I thought that was kind of an interesting blend, like the idea of 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 these very libertarian. Uh, people, but also being very into sort of, uh, you know, environmentalism and, and, and developing Mars in that way. I don't know if that's true. That's just maybe it's just this one guy. But uh, I, I think, was getting I think it's probably that him. guy because he very specifically was talking about like how his dad, he and his dad, like he had this relationship with his dad where he would talk about it with his dad. Um, maybe that's not everybody. But then again, we don't we haven't met very many Mar- Martians, Mars people yet. 
Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Miller and, and how the riots start to break out. Remember the can't, uh, the OPA stuff, and, and it starts to get really, really violent and dangerous there, and they're trying to get kids out of there when the riots break out, and and yeah. like he didn't, nobody he was He didn't respecting. kneecap the guy, though, like he did in the, in the book, <laughs> right? Have the guy kneecapped by sp- snipers or whatever it was that happened. It was pretty, pretty brutal. But yeah, I mean, this is similar to a scene that happens in the book. Um, I did like, there was a moment where they did the spray paint, and it was like a stick that got waved and it, like printed it onto the wall, but then he walks over yeah. and he r- runs a finger through it, which I thought was cool to show that it's like still wet paint. Um, yeah. yeah, I like that. And it has, has Holden's face attached to the saying. It's like, you need to see this guy's face. <laughs> Remember right. the can't, which I think is a great saying. I think it, uh, I'm pretty sure this is a show only thing, right? Like the whole Remember the can't is where the things are chanting and stuff. Yeah, like, I think, I think, I think is. in terms of like the rioting and, and like the, the unrest from the can't, I think you're right. I think that is something that, and again, I think that's like, if I was a writer who'd written the story that they had written, maybe I would pitch something like this to a, an adaptation and to kind of flesh it out. Now, I don't know, you know, who's responsible for what ideas, but remember the can't seems like something that that's really, it was well, you know, I feel like they almost felt that this was something that went on that they, they didn't think was imperative to have in the book or something like that. Well, and, and to be a little cynical about it, it also feels like something where they're like, we need a hashtag on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, you know, honestly, it, it works, though, and I've used the hashtag, so kudos. <laughs> there you go. They did it. So before we move to episode four completely, I did want to talk about Ava Sorella and kind of how she engages in this political game with this guy. She, like, seems like she's friendly. Very clearly, I think they have a history together. Yeah. But um, I think You're he's like about an the Martian. ambassador. Yeah, the Martian amb- ambassador. He's like an ambassador to Mars from the UN, I believe. And she, for her own, well for the cause that she wants to support she kind of screws this guy over and he they had had dinner together like couples dinner and they talked about how he and his partner had talked about how they wanted to create this like winery or something on on mars where they would like farm these things and just have like a recycled water wine (laughs) right make a lot of money and then uh she kind of like prevents that from happening by by like their their political agendas kind of clashing i guess and she ultimately makes it so that he's not allowed on mars he's been like banished from mars kind of so as we can see she's she's very powerful in terms of like who she can sway and and there's this line where somebody says like how did how did it become a situation where you're two breaths two heartbeats away from from being the lead and she was like very carefully so she's we can see that she's very brilliant and that she's going to use her powers of persuasion and that kind of thing to vie for, for certain things in the future. And we can tell that she's ruthless because she's, she kind of screwed over this guy that she had known from before. Potentially a kind of a Machiavellian type character who's, you know, politically motivated and maneuvering herself into positions, but she's also sort of dealing with the unknown and um, she's worried about, earth and what could happen yeah. um there's a well, I she's think doing it, it might be yeah. in this episode but it might be in the next one i'm not sure where she's on the rooftop looking up and and she talks about being worried about uh who, people throwing rocks uh which i thought was interesting because I, I didn't know what that really meant when i saw the show but i remember them talking about it in the book too and the and the idea that um it sounds to me like if you if you can if you can potentially send a meteorite at somebody it could be more powerful than any bomb and I think that's what she's referring to when she says, I'm worried about people throwing rocks, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could be it could be con- interpreted either way, though, because people talk a lot about, like, oh, throwing stones, and you could be, like, just, like, trading nuclear weapons and things like that. But, yeah, I think that that's Is clearly Earth something there. 
that is in the next episode. So let's let's just move into that now. So episode four is CQB. Holden and crew are caught in the middle of a desperate battle as mysterious warships attack and board the Doniger. As he pursues Julie Mao, Miller's partner Havelock goes missing. Oh yeah, wow. Uh, so a lot happens here. Um, did we did we end episode three with Havelock getting getting staple gunned? Um, I think we might. I think that might be the end of episode three. Um, and he's it's just missing. The end of episode one. three or four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either way, that's a change. Um, surprising scene. Uh, I remember when I first saw it, I thought he was dead for sure. <laughs> oh, he <laughs> should know? have been definitely yeah. dead. I was like, oh, he's totally dead. That's crazy. That's a crazy decision. Well, they they do a good job of showing that like medical science has come a long way, and there are things yeah. that maybe are fatal now that aren't fatal, you know, in this version. Uh, yeah, but uh, if you uh, get uh, stuck through, and then they have to, you have to wait for someone to find you. Yeah. Well, that's that was my question. How did he get off the wall? I the have ground. to assume he like like shimmied off that post or something like something crazy Is like that, that. What happened otherwise somebody removed him yeah uh yeah that's pretty brutal man i, I kept thinking of uh i think was it we mentioned we mentioned dead space last time but i think dead space was the video game where you could like staple gun aliens to the wall and stuff so yeah. i kept thinking of that um yeah. but anyway uh yeah havelock survives so you know kudos to him he's got like, a little relationship going with this belter i think prostitute um who's yeah. teaching him sort of some, some belter language and stuff um, we don't know yet how genuine that is, but it seems pretty genuine, at least early on, um, at least from his side and possibly from hers as well, is the implication I was getting. Um, this is all stuff that's added for the show, and, and I think mm-hmm. kind of is a nice little uh, little spin on, on the Havelock character that, that we definitely didn't get in the book. Yeah, and I felt like killing him made sense because he, in the story so far that we've gotten in the book, he just leaves. Right. Uh, so it's like so you, you know, thought that he was one way dead. or another. I was like, okay, well, it's a shocking way to motivate miller at this point and uh yeah but the the relationship is interesting because again it shows kind of that innocence of the young cop trying to learn the language and win the hearts and minds but ultimately it's not going to work out because he's getting spiked to the wall by them yeah now do you think that she because miller late and i think episode five accuses her of sort of being behind it and like giving up his position do you think that that's what happened she was pretty offended by that. Um, yeah. So she maybe. gave a good she gave a good performance as being as as it being genuine. But who knows? Anyway, uh, back on back on Dodonager though, because some really exciting stuff goes down here. We get we get a lot of action. Uh, R.I.P. Shed uh, gets his head blown yeah. off. Uh, and looks and, crazy. And Looked really it's, crazy. It's a really brutal moment for this show that hasn't had that many brutal moments mm-hmm. up till now, right? Like he, he, his head is gone and it's just a neck with blood coming up and getting sucked out the hole behind it. And yeah, that looked really crazy. fucking good. Like it, yeah. it was, it was a really good effect. Um, and then the way they had to put the plank, like put the thing to patch the hole. And then when the, the, my favorite part is when the gravity turns back on and uh-huh. all the blood just splashes down. I don't know how realistic it is. Cause I don't know how gravity works necessarily on this ship. I don't know if it's just artificial gravity or if there's a spin or what, but, um, it, it was cool. It was pooling up above him because they had patched the holes right in the gravity. It was just floating. It was being like yeah. project- like a, projected. Well, because liquid turns into orb. like little orbs in, in, in zero G, which is what the blood right. was doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just falls and it gets everywhere. And it's pretty brutal. It's really, really brutal. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things to talk about with the Donager attack. Like I think uh, Holden starts realizing he's like, let me be with my crew. And he starts free. I, I do think that like l- I'm starting to like Holden a little more near nearing this area. Just because, like, he's like, let me be with my crew. I need to be with them. 
um, there's that moment when like somebody gets shot, somebody gets hurt in some way and they fall. And instead of going for the gun, he goes for the person to try to help them and shows like what kind of person he is. Yeah. We get a little bit of a, you know, the, the, our, our main Martian officer here is getting some characterization and he's, he becomes a little more likable because he'd been very cold early on. Um, I will say though, that Holden's attitude is still very, it's sort of entitled and he doesn't give good reasons. He's just like, I want, I need to see my crew. I'm not going to help you unless I see my crew. And like, I don't know. I felt like in the book he had more like good arguments for why he needed them and, and was maybe a little more reasonable about it. Um, yeah. I don't know. Just it's a little just, more like tactically minded or something. Yeah. Like you just had, yeah. It, here it was just like he was, you know, kind of going to throw a tantrum until they let him get back with his crew. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me to not view him as being sort of juvenile here. But um, regardless, I, I do agree that he's starting to grow on me a little more. Um, this is the episode that I'd only seen half of because I remembered some of this stuff. I remembered the head getting blown off, um, but I didn't remember what goes down at the end here, which is this sort of like sprint across a catwalk and then uh, gravity gets turned off at one point. Um, and in what I thought was pretty fun little scene, uh, Holden hooks onto Naomi and then like kicks her so that he can propel himself backwards so that he can get down to the to the catwalks so that he can latch on with his magnet boots and then mm-hmm. then reel her back in, um, which yeah. I thought was kind of a fun little concept for a zero G scene. Yeah, I think a lot of this stuff, I think this is probably my favorite episode so far, this and maybe the next one, just because uh, I think we get, first of all, some good action, which I think the show was like primed for. There had been like a lot of build up to something like this going down. Um, the characters are starting to really appreciate each other, you know, like, uh, Alex takes that drug so that he can be out and then and then trusts that even though the Martian stuff had gone on with him yeah trust that they would carry him out and they would still be I like that know. too it was like just to preserve air he's like I'll yeah. take up a lot less air if I'm unconscious which was smart yeah right well he didn't necessarily volunteer for it no he was just like he was <laughs> he like not wanting to do it and then they were like you're doing it and he yeah. was like eventually willing to go with it and yeah because like, he couldn't carry Amos he's like you know yeah. you can't carry me so it's you <laughs> yeah uh, and then, like you said, that catwalk kind of like everybody running across and getting across in time uh, with with like whatever enemy. And what's crazy is like, we, I don't think we got, we get like, we get to see the enemy is like humanoid. Yeah. And they have the blue masks to make sure right. that they're different from the red Martians so we can know who's who. Um, yeah, it is, so, it is I, mean, I guess it's a reverse that the here the blue are the bad and the red is the good, which is unusual. Um, we see just a little bit of the, of the, of the Martian Marines, but they are very gung ho Marines. It seems like, and their, and their attitudes, right. Which just gives me a further idea that like, this is just how Mars is. Uh, which, you know, it's funny because Mars is named after the god of war. So I'm sure that that's going into why they're sort of evoking yeah. this. Well, they're at warship too. Like what, ultimately they, they, everything, they, they're all able to make it out of there. I think Amos gets shot in the leg at the last second as they're trying to get across and they get onto this Marship and, and they're, uh, the kind of leader, uh, executive officer for the Mars guy, for the Mars crew, uh, gets on the ship with them and he's been hit hit really badly right there at the end and he's dying and telling them about you know i wish that we could have seen mars with a with a lake that goes forever the ocean that goes forever and and then um this ship seems very very advanced right like they seem pretty pretty stoked about it it's got all these guns on it that are just like wiping people out when they lift off and and fly away um i i so a couple of couple of points i want to make here i i thought both shed's death um, here and then the Martian, the Mar- our Martian commander guys, um, death in the next episode, um, are 
both sort of glossed over pretty easily. Um, I think the more egregious one is maybe Shed, although you could argue that the moment called for such like quick action, they didn't have time. But uh, Shed's dead, and all that happens is Holden kind of looks at him and goes, oh, Shed, and then we move on. And <laughs> like, um, yeah. I think it's because the other characters maybe already got to react to it. Um, but we don't, we, they don't really seem to mention him again in the next episode. He got his head blown off and a fucking random railgun fire. And so insane. that's, that's it. You know what I mean? Like he, he was one of the original crew and it just seems like they move on from it very quickly. They um, did the, give the reaction shots of, uh, of the other characters that were in the room when he got shot. I thought that that was pretty effective. And yeah, the and moment like was great. Yeah. And try to yeah. figure out what actually happened. If you didn't know as the audience member. Well, yeah, because there's just a sound as he's throwing this thing. And then it, like it bounces off of her finger, the little bit of like, uh, the thing she was, is going to help with, uh, her, uh, anxiety i think and she's well, looking it was, and no, it was like, alex like, was freaking out it was alex, oh it's alex yeah you're right not yeah. naomi yeah but it was like what the fuck and like you just see it in their face as they're looking and like realizing something terrible happened and then and they show it to you and it's way more terrible than anything you could imagine the <laughs> right? cut the cut to yeah. blood spurting out of his neck and flying out the hole it, it's crazy you're like how could this even how is that possible yeah um so that's great it's it's just um Holden and some of the rest of the characters move on from Shed's death very quickly. Um, and then the Martian, uh, the, and the main thing that I, the, the reason I pointed out is because in the book, it's described as very uh, um, heroic sacrifice that he does, where he knows that telling them to go to like a full burn is their only way to escape, but he also knows that it will kill him because of his right. current state of injuries. And he right. does it anyway because he wants them to survive. That, mm-hmm. I think, is completely lost in the show. And well, instead, the, he's just dead now, and then they put him in a bag. was all we really got in show, episode five. I think the show does a good job before that of saying, like, like the, the captain of the Mars ship is like, this isn't going to be for nothing. We're going to make sure they get out there. And they, they like, basically make the statement that it wasn't Mars that attacked so that the war is prevented and, like, it will all have been for something. Well, yeah. And so that's, again, the commander who we, we referenced earlier who she says, like, I didn't think they could win. And um, there just seemed a lot to be a lot of hubris there because she was very dismissive. Remember when the torpedoes were flying at the ship and she's like, oh, this happens all the time. You must not have served. <laughs> no big deal. You know, right. very, very dismissive of the chance that they could possibly take it down, which maybe they're trying to evoke some sort of other because this has probably happened in history, right, where somebody felt the same way and then lost. Um, so maybe they're evoking like a specific battle or something, like a naval battle. I, I don't know. I, I could see it, it having some sort of ulterior motive here. But um, yeah, it was just interesting that, that that they that the ship got brought down that way, and then uh, yeah, having to scuttle it in in, in dramatic fashion um, so that you know it it kills. Like I don't know this this mysterious force that are so that are so brutal and like taking people down and boarding ships and showing no fear. And extremely technologically advanced. Um, we know a little bit more about them in the show. Do you have any more theories? Have you been able to develop from what we know about this about this group here? Not really. I mean, other than the fact that we know they're humanoid. They're now, human. Right? Like yeah. Whoever's attacking because of the show. Um, I just think it's another faction. It's like, I don't think it's going to be anything obvious like the OPA. I don't, it's clearly not Mars. Um, could could they be, think it, be based on the moon? We've talked about maybe something to do with Luna. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think it could be something like that, or or maybe if, I I think it's it would be a little cheap, er, just to like be like oh yeah it's this other faction that's been out there the whole time and not have them have played a part yet, yeah. but I I do really think it's got it doesn't to seem been, like it's the OPA right 
Yeah, I wouldn't does, think it, so. It, I don't think it's the OPA. It's not. They're not Mars. organized. They don't have the. They don't have the technology. It doesn't seem like the OPA to like do something, pull something like this off. And Mars seems more like they know that they can. They can get some shit started with Mars, but so they're gonna try and frame them and shit. But I don't right. think it is Mars or, or like a faction within Mars. Yeah. Um, so and really, then, ultimately, so, so that, really leaves like, like, that leaves Earth, like Fred Earth and Johnson. Luna, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Earth and Luna, and then like whatever Fred Johnson's crew would be considered. Yeah. They're like and belters, then, but they're like yeah. they're like technolo- They have the technology out there, and we're seeing a lot on Earth that makes us think it's not Earth, but also maybe it is. <laughs> Still, I don't know. I could see multiple factions cropping up somewhere, yeah. somewhere there. I, I don't know. Oh, which reminds me, there's a scene I think we kind of glossed over, but where the the Belter prisoner is getting transported, um, and he kills himself during the process where he's gonna have to experience like high G's. By, mm. by like ripping his neck up and avoiding the injection so right. that he ends up dying. Like, I guess his heart stops or something. Um, well, no, I don't he know. gets crushed by the gravity. Like gravity kills him. That was like the whole thing they were saying. Like it was ironic that he was trying to make a statement because like they were torturing him with gravity and he used gravity to kill himself. Right, which I assume it, stops his heart. I would imagine yeah. the crushing, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. However, however it does, yeah. Um, and I, because the drug has to be able to prevent that in some way, right? Which I assume is to keep your heart pumping. I don't know. Um, I don't know. But but yeah, he 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 dies, and it, it looked it looked pretty nasty too. The way he like folded got away over. from like folded yeah. his neck over and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty dramatic. Rough stuff. There's there's moments of like pretty brutal violence <laughs> at times in the show that kind of come out of nowhere, but. Uh, I kind of like them. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it says something about me, but it's a, uh, it's a. Uh, it, it always provides a nice kind of pop of of something that you unexpected when it yeah. happens. Yeah. Speaking of brutal, um, this next episode is episode five. It's called "Back to the Butcher." Holden and crew make a deal with an unlikely ally on Tycho Station. Along with his conspiracy theories about Julie Mao, Miller's obsession with the missing girl intensifies. Yeah. So there, I have a criticism of this. Uh, this uh anderson station stuff because mm-hmm. now i don't know if i missed a card something at the bottom that said 10 years earlier or however long but um the whole time it was happening i, I thought it was happening at the same time as everything so else did I. yeah so did i i think that was intentional they wanted us to feel and like then that. and then when it's revealed to be in the past yeah but yeah. i found that confusion like frustrating it was like it was, I, yeah. I felt like i had the rug pulled out from under me and then i had to remember that no this is the thing that they referenced that he did in the past it was unclear and i think that if you're not watching really carefully you might think like wait this guy like he just did this just now and now he's interacting with them like don't they know that he just did this you know what i mean like i think you could get confused and anytime you're introducing that kind of confusion i, I think you gotta be really careful with it and, and honestly it's clarity is usually going to win out is what you should go for yeah i had the same issue like i was like i did i was like invested in what was going on i was like oh shit like this is insane what's going on right now and then ultimately they they did it and i was surprised but i was surprised and like how does this work out and i had to like like you said like kind of backtrack um the title of like showing his name fred johnson and then having it switch to like the butcher is like clearly like how we knew but if you hadn't read the story and known that something had gone on you'd only watch the show i feel like maybe they'll talk about it more in the future but this was just like showing it to us but it was definitely confusing but also just to talk about it like the their civilians again same kind of situation where civilians are are under attack for you know they were just trying to 
protests their their condition and their treatment yeah. and like the way that because like their children were, were getting hypoxic brain injuries or something it was yeah yeah you know, pretty dramatic and then, the and then having the ch- having the children right there like playing games and you know yeah. the the father and his daughter and then uh talk about the brutal stuff like when that when it gets blown up he's we see him in space like clutching his daughter and i don't know yeah. how accurate that is that it would look like that but um pretty dramatic shot regardless and des dead and it's intense when he's like trying to surrender like it seems like he could have surrendered before but they had made a decision to be like no now that he hasn't this last time we're just going to kill him and then he's trying but to But once again it like, seems no. like he got a message out to to the OPA or to whoever that, that that they are trying to surrender it seems like the message got out maybe it didn't i don't know he but tried it seems to like for sure yeah, yeah he was like specifically saying like if i reroute this and do this i might be able to get outside of their range well cuz if Naomi it. knows about what happened on that station, it seems like it must have gotten out that they tried to surrender and then it didn't happen. Um, yeah. That's the only thing I can imagine. Um, well, so it's also that, that like, it was, was a civilian little... ship. Like, why did it need to be blown away? Maybe that's why he's called a butcher. Because like, it did, there's no reason to blow away a civilian ship, even if they're protesting. And they blew it to smithereens. It seemed like they had hostages or something, but or they had killed some people. It was clear that they had killed some people, right? Because you said yeah, you regretted they that. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the exactly why it went down that way is kind of unclear. And, and again, the whole, like they're not listening to our messages with the, with what we just seen from these unknown ships that, that are not talking to anybody and just killing people. It adds another level of confusion where you think like, maybe it's the same people who, who aren't listening to anybody and are just killing. Like is maybe it's this other faction, but then it's revealed to be him. So it makes you think like, is this Fred Johnson guy part of this group? And maybe that's what they're going for, but they're doing it in kind of an underhanded way by just confusing the facts and confusing the timeline. And honestly, like the other stuff that happened in this episode was just Miller, instead of reacting to to Havelock, you know, being taken down almost, he he's like really obsessed with trying to find all this information of Julie and trying to put it all together. And his like, you know, the ex- his ex seemingly shows up to his house and they talk about it a little bit. And then he goes after he goes to find Havelock and interacts with the, uh, the prostitute that he was, that was there at, at his bedside. And, um, and then, and then the other thing is that Holden and, and the rest of the crew decided that they were going to take up this, this message and, and go to the Tyka station. So they're basically making the decision that even after knowing what went on to hold on is like, Oh, but a lot of time has passed. He might be different. So well, they're on their way to meet up with him. And it seems like Naomi has a history with this guy. And she's like, kind of everybody else is like, you know, Holden is drinking coffee and, and Amos is drinking whiskey or whatever it was. Seems and then, like it, yeah. And then Naomi's like in her bed, like not looking okay. Like it's going to be a bad situation that they're going into. Right. Yeah. I mean, all, I think all of our, uh, storylines have a are in a kind of an interesting kind of connective spot where it's moving to the, the next phase and yeah i agree uh I, I also we should note that we've met fred johnson before this um we saw him interacting with this mormon talking about mm-hmm. the generation ship and they're they were going to like fire him from the job because he's too controversial but then he talks about how like all of the best craftsmen and belters are going to come with them so then they they back off um but just the idea of this to to say that the ship would something would happen to the ship something yeah something's gonna happen to the ship if you get me off the project 
Um, I don't know. I just find the idea of this Mormon hundred year generation ship to be kind of fascinating. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I'm be curious to see if this is, becomes more of a thing that we're going to talk about more frequently. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, back with Miller, we have him. Uh, there's this whole plot line going on with this guy who like fakes his identity, who he finds dead, but then he ends up not being dead. And then he thinks he sees them on this um or he does see him, I guess, doing some sort of run where he burns up and people are betting on it. Um, kind of, yeah. kind of unclear what's going on there. It seemed like um, some sort of I like competition type thing. Like he was, yeah, like, yeah, he was like in a big... ship trying to do something, like uh, some sort of fast run or something, right? Like it was something to do with boomerang, right? Like he was boomerang sling- slingshotting around different bodies, and he had like a certain route. I assume for speed is the only thing I can imagine. Like maybe it's a race, it's or some something. kind of race. It seems like yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but, but it's, too close I guess it's illegal or something because he dies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, is that the real guy or is that another? Like, I, I don't know. I was unclear. Um, it seems. I guess it is the real guy because then he later meets this this other man who's afraid of him, but he says, oh, "I saw him die." So, and it seems to be like, okay, don't worry about him. But this guy gives him the clue he needs to go find this final um, data chip, which is inside this gerbil. Um, it's kind of convoluted, right? But mm-hmm. um, this guy seemed to have a relationship with Julie in the past potentially or he at least had feelings for her um unclear exactly what their relationship was was like i guess but uh he he really kind of looked up to her and her sort of it seems like her um wanting to help the belters out was like a real thing genuine thing and not just something she was you know, like a phase or something yeah she she seems to be like uh, i think miller was surprised to find out how capable she was and like that was something that the guy admired, and and she kind of went off on this adventure thing on her own. She was trying to, right? Like that's why she ended up on the scapulae. Yeah, she was wanting to help people. Right, and he mentions that she's risking having to take cancer drugs for the rest of her life and all this stuff in order to do it. So, yeah, and then and then that leads to him getting the the chip, putting it in his hat, and then immediately getting a bag thrown over his head, getting abducted by somebody. Um, and then yeah, we get Jared Harris. Jared Harris gave a pretty interesting speech about the belters and how they need a home like everyone else has a home and they need a home and i was pretty inspired and i was like Man, jared harris is convincing me you know what i mean like that is <laughs> so good <laughs> yeah he's talking with kind of a funny accent and 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 everything but d- despite all of that and, and he's also playing against type in my opinion mm-hmm. like he, he this is not the kind of character he usually plays but it's working for me man he's he's got a lot of range and he's pulling it off yeah um, so so that's all good stuff and then back on the on the ship, we get the renaming of the ship to the to the Rosinante, and, and kind of a funny moment where it's like, oh, we just need a name. And then he says he says it, and then Amos is like, it means workhorse. I like it. And like it's kind of cheesy, but like, um, and they don't actually mention the um, Don Quixote uh, connection, which is I guess what Holden is drawing on from in the book. Um, but they don't say that because maybe they thought it was too obscure for television watchers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, but they go with it, and and that and so we get we get the official uh, designation of Rosinante for the ship, and now this is the the ship that I'm assuming is going to be important going forward. Yeah, I'm, I think it's probably just going to be their ship forever now. Yeah, it's like I, it's taking this important moment to be named and everything. And although I, you, you could definitely undercut that at some point, and destroy it. So I, we'll, yeah. we'll see if, if it sticks around or how long it sticks around. Yeah, I'm excited for what comes next. Um, honestly, yeah. hard to speculate. I don't really know. We've we've <laughs> definitely talked enough here, but um, yeah. looking forward to what comes next. Yeah, I'm really eager to watch the rest of this series, uh, which speaking of, that's what we're going to do. We're going to watch episodes six, six through 10, and then we're going to read the rest of the book uh, the following week, and that'll be the rest of our Expanse coverage. 
Uh, we did want to thank uh, Todd M for being a patron. If you wanted to find out how to become a patron yourself, go to patreon.com forward slash film, and you can find out how to get access to bonus episodes and other content that we provide for patrons. Speaking of, we're going to be recording another one of those very soon um, and putting it up this month. And we're covering a short story by Neil Gaiman um, that is a retelling of Snow White and very different, though. And we're, I'm eager to talk to you about it because I know we've both read it now. Definitely check out our Patreon. Yeah. And thank you to Todd for being a patron. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All those at Ink to Film. And make sure you join the Council of Inklings because it's kind of the best way to interact with us and the entire community here. We post polls. We post all kinds of adaptation news on there. So check it out. Absolutely. If you wanted to help the podcast out in another way, uh, leave us a rating and review. We are getting closer to 100. We still have a ways to go on Apple Podcasts, but we would love to hit 100 reviews. That would be an awesome number to hit, you know, get to those triple digits. So help us out. Thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. And thank you to Jennifer Delazano for providing our transcripts. Absolutely. And thank you for listening. Uh, You know, happy Thanksgiving. We hope you enjoy it however you celebrate. Or if you don't celebrate and you're outside the U.S., you know, we hope you had a good week. All right. And until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.